Well, again, good morning and welcome to Lansdowne Alliance Church. We're glad that you're here today. Uh, if you're joining us online for the first time, we're glad that you're joining us as well. We're going to be taking a break from our series in the book of Acts today. We'll pick back up with that next week. But today we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 2, looking at verses 1 through 13. So we're going to hop out of Acts for a day. And then we'll be back into Acts next week. So this is, um, this is some really powerful text that we're going to unpack this morning. And uh, I think you're going to hear something out of it that maybe is the same thing and similar things that I heard when I was studying for this. And um, yeah, like I said, it's, just, it's a very powerful piece of text that I don't want us to blaze through this morning as we're going to unpack this a little bit. So um, just so you all know, I can see the TV clock that tells me what time it is, but that clock right there says it's 3.01. So by those standards, I'm long overdone. So I'm just going to have to make sure that I don't look at that one. I look at that one. So, or those kids and children's workers might not be very happy with me. So, all right, Jeremiah chapter two, verses one through 13, Bible says, the Lord gave me another message. He said, go and shout this message to Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. I remember how eager you were to please me as a young bride long ago, how you loved me and followed me even through the barren wilderness. In those days, Israel was holy to the Lord, the first of his children. All who harmed his people were declared guilty and disaster fell on them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Listen to the word of the Lord, people of Jacob, all you families of Israel. This is what the Lord says. What did your ancestors find wrong with me that led them to stray so far from me? They worshipped worthless idols only to become worthless themselves. They did not ask, where is the Lord who brought us safely out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, a land of deserts and pits, a land of drought and death where no one lives or even travels? And when I brought you into a fruitful land to enjoy its bounty and goodness, you defiled my land and corrupted the possession I had promised you. The priests did not ask, where is the Lord? Those who taught my word ignored me. The rulers turned against me. The prophets spoke in the name of Baal, wasting their time on worthless idols. Verse 9, therefore, I will bring my case against you, says the Lord. I will even bring charges against your children's children in the years to come. Go west and look in the land of Cyprus. Go east and search the land of Kedar. Has anyone ever heard of anything as strange as this? Has any nation ever traded its gods for new ones, even though they are not gods at all? Yet my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. The heavens are shocked at such a thing and shrink back in horror and dismay, says the Lord. For my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. Let's pray. God, we thank you again uh, for this time this morning that we can gather together and worship. We thank you for our time of worship. And as we dig into your word this morning, may we just hear a word from you this morning. May every single word that comes out of my mouth from my notes, Father, just be your words, Father. We just so badly need to hear a word from you today. And we ask this in your name. Amen. All right. 
So the first thing I want to point out to you is in, if, 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 you're, if you're hearing this, there's a lot that we're going to unpack today, but there's a central piece that we're going to get at. So the first thing I want to look at is in verse three, we see this phrase, the first of his children. And you see there, this is a comparison to something. This is a comparison to the first fruits or their crops that were brought in from the harvest. You see both of the first fruits of the harvest and the firstborn sons of each family if you know your Old Testament back in Deuteronomy chapter 26, they were to be set apart. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be set apart? You see, that's how God's people had declared their allegiance to him in the years that have gone by. The people of Israel had been as eager to please God as if they were his young bride, a holy and devoted people. I mean, think about this for a second, married people in the room. I'll be married, Cherish and I will be married eight years in May, which just seems like insane to think about. Think about when you got married. Think about that relationship. Think about the, the butterflies you had when you first met your spouse. Think about those emotions and those feelings. Think about that love. There was nothing that was going to break that love that you had. And that's the kind of love that these people had. They loved God. They were so devoted to him. Every single thing that they thought, that they said, that they did was for God. They were praying to God. They were worshiping. And as we hear in this scripture, this doesn't sound like people who were that in, who were all in for God. And as we're going to continue to hear this idea of this love, this first love, completely contrasts with the situation here in this time of Jeremiah. Now, look again to verses 4 through 8. It says, Listen to the word of the Lord, people of Jacob, all you families of Israel. This is what the Lord says. What did your ancestors find wrong with me that led them to stray so far from me? They worshiped worthless idols only to become worthless themselves. Verse 6, they did not ask, where is the Lord who brought us safely out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness? A land of deserts and pits, a land of drought and death where no one even lives or travels. And when I brought you into a fruitful land to enjoy its bounty and goodness, you defiled my land and corrupted the possession I had promised you. The priests did not ask, where is the Lord? Those who taught my word ignored me. The rulers turned against me and the prophets spoke in the name of Baal, wasting their time on worthless idols. You see, the United Nations of Israel included both the families of Israel and the people of Jacob or the people of Judah. Jeremiah knew Israel's history, and he knew that history very well. The prophets, they recited history to the people for a couple of different reasons. First, and this might sound like reasons why we remember history, they recited history to be reminded of the faithfulness of God. If we think about that from a, pro, uh, a practical perspective, sometimes we remember events and circumstances in our lives where we were reminded of the faithfulness of God. The second thing, they recited history to make sure they would never forget their history since, well, they didn't exactly have one of these to read, did they? 
If you're thinking about the people in the time of Jeremiah, there was no turning to the book of Exodus and seeing what happened. There was no turning to any of those books. They did not have what we have. Third, they recited their history to emphasize the love that God had for them. It's a good reason to remember to remember history, why you know, that God loved them. And finally, they recited their history to remind them at one time they had been close to God. If you really think about it, church, history is a very important thing. It really is. Senator Ted Cruz once said, remember the lessons of history because if we don't learn from history, we are bound to repeat it. How many of you ever heard a phrase similar to that before? That if you don't remember your history, you're bound to repeat it. You know, there was a time where when Luke was a little bit younger, where he thought that he was going to, he found a penny on the floor and I don't know why he thought this, but he looked at the plug outlet on the wall and thought, this is a good place to store my penny. And he starts tottering over to it. I'm, I'm, seeing, I'm, I'm starting to put together what he's doing. So I'm starting to kind of, you know, do one of those dad moves where you're slowly starting to come up off the couch because you know what's about to happen. Like you've, you've seen this on Looney Tunes before and you know what's coming. So he gets closer, and, and, there, and I'm thinking, like, okay, I've got to, I'm going to stop him here. And so later on, before I get to what happened, I told my mother this story, my, and my mother's like, Stephen, you should have talked to him nicely. No, so here's what I did. He gets close to the outlet, and I did what any father would do. I went, no, and shoved him out of the way, because I did not want him to put that penny in the outlet. And my mother's like, you should have talked to him nicely. I'm like, he is two and a half. What am I going to do? Well, son, I wouldn't do that if I were you. What's he going to do? Look at me and say, oh, thank you, Father. Thank you for that kind piece of advice. I'm going to go sit over here on the step of shame and ponder our conversation. No, you go, no, get out of the way. So because that way, he knows that is not a place for a penny to go. And I do not, and I want him to remember to never repeat that piece of history. But that's kind of how history works. When bad things happen, we like to remember those things so we don't repeat history. And when good things happen, we're like, hey, we could give this a go again. You see, we should always be learning from history so that we can build on the successes and avoid repeating the failures of other people. I mean, look at this text. The priests, the leaders, the prophets, they did not ask God for advice. Verse 6 says, they did not ask, where is the Lord? I love it that it goes on to say, where is the Lord who brought us safely out of Egypt and led us through the land? And then just to add on, it says, a land of deserts and pits of drought and death where no one lives. But they're not going to ask God for advice. They ignored their history. They ignored the law. They ignored their identity as God's people. And last but most certainly not least, they ignored their purpose, their calling. This might sound harsh, what I'm about to say, but it's the honest truth. If you have reached the point in your life 
where you no longer seek the teaching of God or the direction of God, you have effectively replaced God with an idol. If you have reached the point where you do not ask God for advice, you do not seek God for direction, you have replaced him. And sometimes we have replaced him with ourselves. You have given something or someone else, even yourself, the place in your life that belongs to God. The nation and the people of Israel, they had set up Baal in the place of God. Baal, who was the chief male god of the Canaanite religion. Baal was the god of fertility, and his worship included animal sacrifice, sacred prostitution in the high places on the mountains. Jezebel, the wife of King Ahab, introduced Baal worship into the northern kingdom, and eventually it spread to Judah. For the Israelites, the perversion, the sexual nature of this worship was a constant temptation for them. These people who had been commanded by God to have those relations within the confines of marriage. What a temptation for these people. What an attractive temptation in their eyes to walk away from God. I mean, if, you, if you've noticed, especially as we continue I've hit you with a lot this morning, so let me refresh your memory here. Verse 13 says, For my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. Who in their right mind would trade a beautiful, flowing fountain of fresh water for a cracked and broken cistern, a pit that collected rainwater that couldn't even hold any water. I mean, it's crazy, right? Who in the world would do this? Well, the truth is, we do. A lot more than we might realize. We forsake God to do things our own way, to fulfill our own dreams, to follow our own plan. See, God told the Israelites that they were doing that very thing when they turned from him, the fountain of living water to worship idols. The people had built their own belief system. They were following their own thing. They were doing things their own way and doing what they thought was better. But what did it turn out to be? Leaky, cracked, worthless. Why in the world should we be clinging to the promises of broken cisterns? Let me tell you what those broken, prom those broken cisterns, those promises are in our society. They're, they're, it's money. It's power and position a relationship, a friendship, a dating relationship that points us away from God. Self-made beliefs or whatever else we are choosing over God when God promises us that he will refresh us constantly with the living water. 
He is the only one that can truly satisfy us, right? John 4.10, Jesus replied that if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. I'm gonna tell you all this this morning. What I have been reading to you and what we have been going through this piece of scripture is exactly what it looks like when we walk away from God to do our own thing. You know the phrase you hear in our society, oh, you do you. This is what it looks like when we walk away from God. When we try to do things our own way. I mean, we think, of, we think about this art of surrender. When we surrender to God, God, I want to follow you. I'm surrendering all of this to you, except that. I, I need to keep that. That's not surrender then. That's not full surrender. God, I want you to have all of me except that one thing. And I just think so many times we just make God do that big giant face pamba. Uh, they were so close, almost there. Come on, you can do it. And we're just like, I still need to keep this. No, you really don't. You see, when we shed our old life and leave and surrender fully to God, you see, part of, part of it is we're like a snake that sheds its skin. But the problem is, unlike the snake, we sometimes try to get back into that skin again because that skin was comfortable. That skin made us feel good. We enjoyed what that skin had for us. If you're listening to this text, if you're, if you're maybe you've kind of had a hunch about it and you've been thinking, let me confirm that hunch for you right now. This text this morning, this is God speaking to his people. Francis Chan once said, sometimes people get this idea that God is like this machine up there with no feelings who just judges and controls everything. God says, I remember your devotion. I remember how eager you were to please me. And then he goes on and says, God literally says, he says, what did your ancestors find wrong with me? that it led them to stray so far away. Doesn't that sound like so many of us? We're so, we were so connected with God. We were so plugged in. We were so grounded. Everything was great and smooth. And then we just up and walk away. And sometimes we even run away towards something else because we think it's better. We think it's going to advance us farther. We think it's going to make us feel good. We think it's going to help us really leave some things in the past behind. If you're hearing what I'm saying this morning, I believe that God was literally saying to his people, what did I do? What did I do? You were so devoted to me. And now you're digging these cisterns to, that can't even hold water. He says, what did your ancestors find wrong with me? I literally believe that that's God saying, what, what did I do? And we do that same thing. We were so grounded with God. We're so connected with God. We're in such a great community. And then we just up and leave to do something that we think is better. And we literally leave God saying, what did I do? 
How often does God speak to us in our lives? Gives us the plan. Tells us how to live. And we go about things and want to do things our own way. I mean, the old classic phrase, my way or the highway. When we walk away from God to do our own thing, to go about it our own way, effectively, we are choosing sin over him. You have to hear this text. God's heart is breaking. And I don't think it's just because of their sin. I think what is really breaking the heart of God in this text in Jeremiah 2 is that these people were choosing their sin over him. They were actively choosing their sin over him. When we choose to do that thing in our life that we know is wrong, hang out with those people that we shouldn't hang out with or be in a relationship with someone who's not leading us to God or, or whatever it might be, whatever it is that is, if it's pointing us away from God, it's not a good thing. If it's not actively pointing you closer to God, it's not a good thing. And that effectively is us choosing that sin over God, that whatever that is that we keep going back to, that snakeskin, we keep trying to get back into again. We are looking at God, and this, is, this, is, this might sound very like, oh, baby, but it's honestly how we need to look at it. And this is how I think you make an impact with it. Because when you do that, you are looking at God and telling him, my sin is better than you. You can say that's not how it is. You can say that's too harsh. That's not what you mean. But that is exactly what you are saying to the heavenly father who loves you more than anyone else ever has or ever will. I mean, how in the world could we do this? Well, to be quite honest, and I'm not saying that I've never succumbed to this, but sometimes temptation looks really, really good. It looks really, really good. Actually, sometimes it looks good and even better. If you're here this morning and there is a temptation that you are struggling with, that thing that you are actively giving first place in your life over God, that thing that you are actively giving the place that God deserves, please come talk to whether it's myself or or Bob is here today, or, or Teo, or Jeff will be back next week, please don't go at it alone. Get connected. Talk to someone. You're not alone. Jeremiah 2.10, go west and look in the land of Cyprus. Go east and search through the land of Kedar. Has anyone ever heard of anything as strange as this? God was saying that even pagan nations like Cyprus in the west and Kedar, the home of Arab tribes living in the desert, of the desert land of Palestine. They've remained loyal to their national gods. But Israel, these people had abandoned the one and only God for a completely worthless object of worship. It's a valid question. How many times do we leave God asking, what did I do? 
we were, things were, what did I do? I think about these things so often. And, you know, in all the years of working in, in youth ministry and children's ministry, you, you see it. A very scary statistic is that 93% of kids that grow up in the church will graduate high school and never set foot in a church again. 93%. That number's way too high. Think about, and I, you know, one of the things I really sat down as this, this, these past couple weeks as I was getting ready for this is how many times do we really leave God saying, what did I do? You know, we're going to be having communion here in just a little bit as we do every week, where we remember the sacrifice that he made for us on the cross. I challenge people all the time. We got to stop remembering the cross only at Easter time. We got to remember the cross all the time and what he did for us on the cross. You know, we have these, these holidays that are trickled throughout the year and they're all great, but we got to remember 12 months a year that the tomb is still empty. We got to remember 12 months a year that that tomb will always be empty, that he rose. I just, I think about these times where, you know, we, we, we're, we're close with God, things are going great, and then that temptation just comes right on in. Because let me tell you something, contrary to popular belief, that enemy doesn't need a whole lot to make his way right on in. Temptations are things that draw us away from God. Anything that draws us away from God, that is a temptation. If I could rewrite the dictionary, that is the dictionary I would give the word temptation. Anything that draws us away from God. We know it's not going to fulfill us. We know it's not going to bring us permanent satisfaction. We know that we love God with everything that we have and all that we are, but we just can't break away from this temptation. We can't leave it behind. So what do we do? Well, this is how I'm going to close this morning. This is what we do. And I'm going to use scripture to answer the question. Hebrews 12, 2. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. We fix our eyes, our minds, our hearts on him so completely that we don't even notice when temptation tries to come creeping in. We don't even notice when temptation comes knocking on our door because we are so fixed on Jesus. When we have our eyes fixed on him, our minds fixed on him, when we are in his word, when we are in community, when we are studying the word together, when we're doing life with each other, we are so fixed on God. Wouldn't that be a great thing to not even notice when temptation comes creeping in? When temptation comes knocking at the door, you're not even going to hear it because your focus is so on him. He says, set your mind on things above and not earthly things. It's this idea of a person being so focused on loving God 
and this love relationship with God that you don't even notice anything else. So think about this for a moment as this leads into our closing challenge for the message today. How many of you love a good friend and appreciate a good friend who remains true to their commitments? Yeah. How many of you get disappointed when one of those friends failed to keep the promise that they made to you? Or you have plans with them and they find something else better that comes along the way and they jump ship and go to that. You see, much like the people of Judah, God is pleased with us when we obey him after turning to him. You know, when we obey, when we, that, think about that moment when you first gave your life to Christ, how on fire for him you were. I remember, you know, I, I got saved when I was five years old, but back at creation 2008 in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, on a farm field when I handed my life over to God to serve him and do anything and everything that he called me to do. I came home and my mother and father went, who in the world is this child? I mean, I knew he was happy about graduating high school, but woohoo! That fire we had, that fire that, if you remember, you thought would never get any smaller. But life happens. And sometimes we do take our eyes off of him. And we focus more on the size of our problem than we do the size of our God. Think about that initial obedience you had for God. But then, much like the people of Judah, God becomes angry and becomes upset when his people refuse to keep their commitment to him. The reality is this. Temptations are going to come, and sometimes they're going to come hard. And they're going to distract us from God. But let me challenge you with this today. Think about your original commitment to God when you first gave your life to him. That day you handed your life over to him and said, here I am, Lord. Thank you for saving me. Think about that day when you said, here I am, Lord, send me. And ask yourself, how is that commitment going? Am I truly being devoted to him? Or do I need to refix my attention and put my eyes back on him, the author and perfecter of our faith? Let's pray. God, we thank you again for this time. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for these examples that we have in the Bible of people who turn away from you so we can learn to not do the same thing. We thank you for that history. God, I thank you for everyone that is here this morning. Father, and as we go throughout our days, throughout our weeks, and throughout our lives, that we would truly be devoted to you, that we would fix our eyes on you, that we would not have a conditional faith that we trust you and follow you when things are going well, but that we would follow you and trust you even in the hard times because it's even in those hard times where you're still working, you're still moving, and you still love us. And we ask this all in your name. Amen.